the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. As we're accustomed during the fifth Sunday of any Coptic month, the church reads for us the passage of the feeding of the five loaves of the two fish, the passage of blessing. Um, and in this passage, the Lord uh, nourished the multitude and he had compassion on them. They were following him for many days. And he had compassion on them that they needed to, uh, to eat. So rather than sending them away, as the disciples suggested, he told them, you, you know, feed them. When they said, we have nothing here except the five loaves and these two fish. So he took them and through his hands, he blessed them and fed all of the multitude. And it says that they were all filled and 12 baskets of remaining fragments were taken up by them. So he fed them enough for everyone to be filled with some even uh, to spare. Uh, So I'd like to speak this morning a little bit about being nourished by God. When God feeds us, um, there's a proverb that says, you are what you eat. You are what you eat. This means what? That uh, if I eat things that are healthy, then my body will be healthy. You know, if I put healthy things in my mind, I will think healthy thoughts. Right? So we are what we eat. What I consume is who I will become. If my sole focus in life is to know the latest and greatest trend, this is who you'll become. Somebody who's consumed with just simply the latest trend. If my sole focus in life is about how I can make more money and let my bank account, you know, increase, this is who you become. Somebody who is a slave to money. If some, if, uh, I'm a person who is, you know, nourished by, uh, my lust or my passion, this will who you become. You'll become a slave of this lust and this passion. Um, so this principle of you are what you eat applies, you know, to our life and ultimately to our destiny. And it's up to us what we choose to be nourished by. You know, in the beginning, for example, when we were young children, our parents would feed us without any choice. But as we get a little bit older, we begin to say, have an opinion and say no and yes, this is what we like and this is what we don't like. And of course, when we're adults, no one forces any us to eat anything or they shouldn't. Um, at the end of every uh, Pauline, uh, uh, sorry, every Pauline Catholic epistle in the church, it ends with us with a, a passage. And it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, this is from 1 John chapter 2. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So he's telling us here and reminding us every time we pray the liturgy that the world is passing away. Anything that I might want to put in front of me as what I want to be nourished by, if it's not from God, then it will pass away. Everything in the world is passing away. The money, the lust, the pleasure, the, you know, anything that, you know, you can think of that's of the world, it all will eventually pass away. This is why, you know, our souls can never be nourished by the world. They can only be nourished by God. There was a Eastern Orthodox bishop, he described this uh, uh, relationship as the following. He says, the body directly receives food that is in essentials identical to the body. The body is of the earth and food for the body is of the earth. This is why the body feels at home among its own in the world. 
So it says, the body is made from the flesh. When God created us, created us from the earth. And what nourishes the body are the things of the earth. The food that we eat, the water, and everything is of the earth. So it feels comfortable with earthly things. But then he says, the soul, however, in the meantime, suffers. It is crucified and suffers. It is disgusted and protests at having to receive food indirectly. And this uh, a food not identical to itself. The soul, therefore, feels itself in this world to be a foreigner in a country among strangers. So he's saying here the soul is different. The soul is, you know, comes from God and is only nourished by God. So if I solely focus in my life about nourishing the body, then the soul will suffer, right? Um, so he's bringing here, Yanni, that it's important for us when we go through our life that we want to be nourished by the hands of God because it's the only way that the soul will live. <clears throat> and the Lord said the same thing to the Samaritan woman. If you remember, after you know they had their initial interaction and he revealed to her her sin, and she said, okay, you must be a prophet. Tell me then, where is one ought to worship? And he said to her something very important. He said, um, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Right? So he's telling her that, it's not simply a matter of a place where we worship, but it's in the spirit that we worship because God is spirit. This is how we commune with him. The end of all earthly nourishment, my beloved, is death, but being nourished from God is life. And in the readings that the church chose today, you'll find the psalm is usually like a prelude to what the gospel is speaking about. So the psalm today says, I spread out my hands to you, my soul longs, for you, like a thirsty land, answer me speedily, O Lord, my spirit fails. So this is like introducing the passage of the feeding the five loaves and the two fish. So what is the church telling us here? It's saying, in order for us to be fed by or nourished by God, we have to do three things. And then the gospel is going to tell us about what it means or what does it look like to be nourished by God or how does God nourish us. So we'll mention three points real quickly about um, the preparation, what's our responsibility from the psalm from this morning, and we'll mention just a couple of points about being nourished by God. The first part of the psalm says, I spread out my hands uh, to you. And anytime we want to receive something from anyone, our hands must be empty. You know, even simply if I want to receive a greeting from someone, what do we do? We shake their hand. Can you shake somebody's hand when there's something in your hand? It's very difficult. Usually we transfer it to shake somebody's hand. Or if we have carrying a bag, we put it on our side and we shake somebody's hand. So in order for there to be an exchange, there mu or to, for us to receive, our hands must be empty, right? So this is what he's saying. I spread out to you uh, my hands uh, to you. This is telling God that I'm ready to receive your gifts. When somebody, for example, graduates from high school and college and they walk across the stage where they receive their diploma or their degree with an empty hand, right? because I'm going to receive something, right? It's uh, We can't really receive anything with our something in our hands. Also, the empty hand is a sign of detachment. I'm not holding on to anything as I'm moving. Um, I, my hands are empty, 
There's nothing holding me down and I'm ready to uh, receive. So I'm basically telling God that I'm when I lift up my hands, especially in prayer, that I'm ready to receive to receive from you, Lord, what the gifts you want to give to me with no strings attached, with nothing attached. I'm willing to let go of everything to receive uh, from you. And this is exactly what Zacchaeus did. If you remember when Zacchaeus went up, climbed up the sycamore tree to see the Lord, and the Lord called to him, Zacchaeus, come down today, I will be, I will come to your house. He came down in haste and he went to the Lord. And the Lord never told him, you know what, if I come to your house, I need you to sell all your, you know, to give back all the money that you took unjustly, and I need you to give to, but he didn't tell him anything. But he simply went into his house and Zacchaeus was ready to give up the thing which he was holding on to, which was his money. He was a chief tax collector. So he was, you know, typically known as being people who were greedy. But he was willing to give that up. And in return, he received salvation. He said, the Lord told him, salvation has come to this household. So he was able to receive the grace of God and the blessings of God and the nourishment of God because he let go. He didn't have anything in his hands. And then he says, uh, the psalmist says, my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Longing is like an expression uh, of desire to be nourished by God and God alone. <clears throat> Maybe you might say perhaps the empty hand is the emptying of myself. But sometimes some people can, when we, all, when we empty, we can be filled and we want to be nourished by anything else that fills us. But the second part of the verse when he says, my soul longs for you and is thirsty as a dry land, this is saying to God, I'm emptying myself and I only want to be nourished by you and you alone. This is why in the morning psalm we pray in Psalm 26, it says, uh, this, uh, David says why? He says, one thing I have asked the Lord and this I will seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So he's saying to God, the one thing that I desire from you, Lord, is to simply to dwell in your house. Although he was a king and he had a palace and his house was very nice, but he said the one thing that he truly desires is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And the thirsty land, of course, is the land that is dry and that needs irrigation. And so he's saying that when we approach God and we say to him, my soul longs for you as a thirsty land, it seems like if you look at like a desert, for example, uh, and you see any picture, you seem to like think no matter how much water falls in this place, it will never be enough to make to saturate the soil. And this is how we should feel as Christians when we come to God and ask, you know, him to fill us and to be and to be nourished by him, that there's never a point where, where we will be satisfied. Never a point where okay, I've reached this uh you know, this level. So as Christians we should never think okay, well all I want to be able to attain is to pray the igbeya in the morning and the evening and then I'm good. I don't want to go further. All I just want to do is be able to fast the fast of the church and then, okay, that's it. I don't want to go any further. No. In our spiritual life, it's as if we're beginners every day. There's a story, I believe it's uh, with St. Uh, Arsenius. He was with his disciples and they, he was talking with them and he said, let's stand to pray. And they stood to pray together and, and he has been a monk for 30 plus years and his disciples were still new. And he stood up to pray and the first thing he said to the Lord is, Lord, teach me how to pray and offer to you praise. And they finished the prayer and the disciples were stunned. He's like, what do you mean teach me? You've been here for 30 years in the desert and you still don't know how to pray? And he explained to them that unless we feel like we're novice or we're new all the time, we will never grow. We will get this sense of complacency. I'm good where I am. It shouldn't be like that. 
there's no يعني, there's no end to what we can grow the path to perfection is is until the day that we die and then he says answer me speedily o lord my spirit fails to be nourished my god my beloved we must recognize that we are not capable of truly nourishing ourselves he says my spirit fails i try to nourish myself and all the nourishments that i chase after have failed me you know nowadays what's really popular is like um and i don't want to sound any negative towards the medical community or anything but this whole mental health كل حاجه دلوقتي is mental health issues يعني if somebody and they and they mischaracterize spiritual illness for mental health issues that a lot of the baseline things it's a spiritual problem it's a problem with lack of connection with god and disconnect with god not simply just something that yes there are mental health problems yes depression and schizophrenia and all these things are real right i'm not saying that this is not real but what i'm saying is there's an overfocus on anything but god now and now it's you know shifting towards okay it must like mental health you know issues thinking that if i can just go to somebody to make me feel good a mental health professional just to make me feel good this is going to solve my problems it doesn't solve anybody's problems it just puts a bandaid and then you'll find okay well I'll solve this problem and then something else comes up i have anxiety and then i have depression and then i have this and it just comes and goes because the heart of the problem is there's no god in my life you should have been a fahati right in uh in philippians chapter 2 uh st paul describes this um describes the lord as emptying himself he says let this mind be in you which is also in christ jesus who being in the form of god did not consider robbery to be equal to god but made himself of no reputation so speaking how the lord christ was incarnate and when in his incarnation he emptied himself and made himself of no reputation this uh, this word of reputation is actually in greek is kenosis which is like a self emptying it's not like one's reputation where you know i don't care about what people think of me that's not what he's saying he's saying that he emptied himself and took the form of a servant and he said we should have the same like manner so when we say okay my spirit has failed me this is saying what lord i've tried everything in my power and i'm powerless to be able to save myself and to help myself i need you i'm empty before you and i need you to fill me as this dry land and my spirit fails there is a story in matthew chapter 9 um sorry mark chapter 9 about a man whose bo- whose uh, son uh, had a demon and this demon made him mute um and he went to the lord and asked him you know uh, and told him about his son and the lord said to him if you believe you know uh if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes So the man thought to himself and says, "You know what? If I tell him, I believe he might heal my son." But then there's something in me that says I don't believe. So with all honesty and sincerity, he looks to the Lord and he says, "Lord, I believe, help my unbelief." This is being empty. He emptied himself and he made himself vulnerable in front of the Lord Jesus and says, "You know what? I want to say I believe, and a part of it I do believe, but there's some parts that I don't believe. Help my unbelief." Right? This is the emptying, being honest with God. So if there's something we're struggling with on our spiritual life, we be honest with him. Lord, I believe and I know that you're God, I know this, but there's something that I'm having trouble with. Help my unbelief. I'm fasting, Lord, but I'm not fasting in a way 
maybe that's uh, according to what the church has instructed me. I'm fasting, Lord, but help my inability to fast properly. I'm praying, O Lord, but help my inability to pray without distraction. This vulnerability, this being empty in front of God, we must be empty in order for Him to fill us. We have to acknowledge, my beloved, that we cannot fill ourselves. We're like uh, beggars coming to the king, sitting at his table begging for him to give us his nourishment. So what is God's nourishment? What does it look like? The first thing we find in the passage of the feeding of the five loaves is that God nourishes us through his disciples. So God blessed, took the five loaves, blessed them, and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. Certainly, the Lord Jesus, who created the, the food for the multitude, can create them like he did with the manna to come and sit down right in front of the people. He didn't need the disciples. But it was the Lord's intention to have the people be served by the people, to have the people be served by the church. And as we know, the church is our mother. It is our mother. And a mother sacrifices for her children. A mother nourishes her children. A mother loves her children, and a mother prays for her children. Is the mother perfect? Is there a mother who is perfect? No, there's not a mother who is perfect. Neither are the members or the servants of the church perfect. We all make mistakes. It's again, at the end of the day, yes, it's led by God, but it's, you know, it's uh, implemented by humans, right? Who make mistake and prone to mistake. So what should we do with our mother who makes a mistake? Should we discredit the mother? Should we just abandon the mother and just leave? Should we, you know, criticize our mother because what she made today had too much salt? Should I post on social media that my mother, you know, made uh, buftik today and was very salty? Do we do this? Is this a way to honor the mother who nourished us and the one who raised us and supported us for so many years? Is our relationship with our mother, the church, so fragile that when the the mother disagrees or the church disagrees with me, then it cut, I cut off my relationship with the mother church. That simply, when there's a disagreement, do we do this with our own parents? I would certainly hope not. Where when me and my mother disagree, and because we disagree, I, I want to leave the home. And at the end of the day, who is hurt when the child abandons the mother? Who is hurt? Is it the mother who's hurt? It's not the mother who's hurt. It's the child who's hurt. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Who was the one who was hurt when he left his father's house? It was him. It was the younger son. He was the one who ended up spending all the money and desiring the food of the swine. So he is hurt. The mother church has been there since the time of the Lord Jesus and will continue as the Lord promised. Even the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The mother church will always be there. But what is my relationship with the mother church? Is it really fragile that when there's something that would be disagreement or the church doesn't agree with me, then I, I cut off the church and I leave? I hope that um, the relationship that we have with our mother, the church, is not this fragile. St. Cyprian uh, of Carthage, he says, no one can have the father for, uh, no one can have God for his father who does not have the church as his mother. If we say that God is our father, then the church is our mother. And as we love God the Father, we love the church, the mother, even in her deficiencies or, or mistakes. The second thing we find is that God desires that we participate in our own nourishment. 
Um, again, as a child grows, uh, the child begins to participate in his own nourishment. So when they're infants, the, the mother and the father, they feed the child, they prepare the food and everything. But as the child grows, the child begins to, okay, the parents prepare and the child will feed themselves. And as they get a little older, they can even help prepare the food and maybe when they're mature enough, they can even prepare the whole meal from scratch by themselves. Um, and this is what happened. The Lord said, okay, you feed them. And he said, we have nothing but five loaves and two fish. I'll take what you have. So he took the five loaves and two fish and he blessed them. So he wants us to participate in our own nourishment. Sometimes we have this approach with God that, okay, I want God to do everything. God, give me the knowledge of Scripture and I don't read the Scripture. God, give me the ability to pray like St. Beshoy and I never pray with a bear. All I do is just say our Father like uh, you know a little child. We want God to do everything. We're just going to be spectators and hope that His power will one day endow me with grace and I will be able to be yani, as St. Bashur or any of the saints. This is not how it works. He wants us to participate in our own nourishment. St. Paul he had a disciple, his name was Timothy. And he would teach him and he raised him and he converted him and everything. And then there was a point where he was going to leave. And he tells him before he leaves in 1 Timothy 4, he says, Till I come, when I ret- until I return, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the lying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. So he says, till I come, give attention to reading, exhortation, to doctrine. Continue to read and study. Nourish yourself. When we were younger, we would sit and we would read the Bible with our, uh, hopefully we read the Bible with our uh, our families and we pray together and everything. But as we mature, there should be now some a transition of independence where I'm praying and reading the Bible, coming to church. I don't need my parents to wake me up in the morning, but I get up from myself. I need some kind of independence in my spiritual life. And this is what I mean. We work with God as He nourishes us. We participate in his, in our own nourishment. You know, it's, it'd be very foolish if one day you're, you're really hungry and, you know, say, okay, mom, make me something, you know, a big meal. So she makes this big meal and you sit down and then you sit there and say, okay, mama, can you feed me? As an adult, you'll say, you know, forget about it. You know, forget it. You should feel any, um, Somebody else to feed you. This reminds me of, uh, I took a trip one time to Egypt and, uh, you know, we're all from America and we don't, well, the person that I was sitting next to me was, I grew up with him and he didn't speak very, any good Arabic. Uh, so the waiter came around and he says, everybody says, okay. So the boy next to me, he wanted to say, but instead of saying Izazat Maya, says Hat Bizazat Maya. For then the waiter said, Ruh Lomak. So, of course, the waiter's not going to feed him or give him any food. You know, he's expected to be able to do this on uh, on his own. Um, so, God provides um, uh, our needs, but He wants us to participate in our own uh, nourishment. Also, God can make little go a long way. <clears throat> Uh, again, we saw how the five loaves was able to not only feed the multitude, but to feed and to be filled and to spare, right? So it was more than what was enough. And this tells us that in the hands of God, we are completely satisfied. And it's not about the quantity. Um, God's nourishment is not measured quantitatively. 
It's not about the amount. You know, so far, I've never heard this, thank God. Nobody has come to me and says, Yo, we know, Abuna, when you were giving communion today, I got a really small piece and the person behind me got a little bit bigger than me. We don't say this because we all partake of the body. When we take a small part of the body, we take the whole thing, right? We're partaking of the full meal, even from if it's just a really small part of the body, right? So the same thing, little goes a long way in the hands of God. When the Gideon was going against the Midianites, he had a hundred, he had 32,000 men and God said, that's too many. Let's take it down. Although they were going against 135,000, he said, that's too many. And he knocked it down until 300 men. And with 300 men, they went against the Midianites and, you know, it made them flee before, uh, these 300 men. So little in the hands of God will go a long way. So we don't despise the little. When God nourishes, even what is something very small can go a long way. Sometimes maybe in our prayers, we, you know, we say, okay, I don't feel anything when I pray. But, you know, sometimes there'll be an occasion where, you know, God will send you a comfort and will send you, you know, to be able to experience His presence in such a real way, but only be maybe for a small amount of time. Uh, and then this will be it for many, many years, maybe after. But sometimes this small taste of God's grace will be enough to fuel us in our prayer life, in our spiritual life, until maybe God sees that we're ready for another yani, encounter, uh, a close encounter with Him. It's not about the quantity, it's about the quality. God nourishes and He takes what is little and can make, uh, can be very productive. Lastly, those who are nourished by God are completely satisfied, as I said. There is a story in the book of Daniel when Daniel and his three friends, the three holy youth, were taken into captivity and the king wanted to try them. And he said, okay, eat of the food of the kings and we'll see how you look, you know, um, after a year and then we'll, we'll see, I'll choose from you who I want to serve. But Daniel and his three friends said, no, in our own country we're fasting. We eat vegetables and we drink water. This is all we do. So... um the rest of the people that were there being interviewed, they were nourished by the king's food. But Daniel and his three friends were nourished by God, the way that they used to fast and pray. And it says after the ten days that they were tested, they looked healthier and fatter than the people who were eating of the king's food. All right? And this is this is the what it means when we say we're nourished by God. It's not about you know the quantity or what things look like, but it's about where the blessing of God is. Many people will say, okay, when I cheated on my exams or I've cheated in, in whatever. And I tell them, just be honest. You know, when you're honest in the work that you do, even if you get a little bit a lower grade, but you're honest, God will bless this honesty. And He'll bless the grade that you got and He can give you success with what you have. And I've seen many times, there's a minimum requirement and people have below the minimum. But because they were honest, they were still permitted to enter. And you might think, okay, there's no way for this to happen. After even everything closes, the school even started, and somehow Rabbina can still work with this. But we have to trust Rabbina. You know, we have to trust God. Let us be nourished by Him. Even with the little can go a long way. May God grant us to open our minds and our hearts to be ready to be nourished, to be detached from the world. When we lift up our hands, we say to Him, Lord, I am like this dry land. Nourish and fill me. Um, with you and we become like beggars before him begging for his mercy and his nourishment to him be the glory forever and ever amen